welcome to Virtual Economy, a podcast about the business of games for the rest of us. We're your hosts. I'm Michael Footer. And I'm Amanda Farrow. On each episode, we'll cover the biggest business beats and bring an expert commentary from lawyers, analysts, and industry pros. This is episode 135. Minecraft tells NFT twerps to go block themselves. That's a miraculous title. Why, thank you. It's absolutely magic. I thank love you. it. I love it a lot. I can't uh, wait to dig into what that's all about. Yeah, it's... Oh, boy. Uh, but where we're going to start today, earnings season has begun, and we have three companies we're going to cover, uh, starting with Capcom. Now, I don't want anybody to panic. Don't. Don't panic. Panic. But we are going to see some trends... Down. ...continuing to develop. The trends we've been talking about for the last month or so. I think it's been longer than months. that. I, I mean, NPD has talking, really surfaced some of these downward trends. We started really discussing this back in May, and we're towards the end of July. So, okay. Yeah. yeah, a couple months. Been a couple months. All right, so Q1 for Capcom for fiscal 2022-23. Net sales are down. Hold on to your, your, your butts. Oh, hold on, hold on. Oh, yeah. Hold on. Hold on your butts. Okay, I've got my butt. All right. Down 47.9% Ooh. to 25.2 billion yen or $184.8 million. Operating income was down 48.9% to 12.1 billion yen or $88.3 million. Now just remember operating income is the difference between revenue and expenses due to regular activity. Right. And then their net income was down 48.1% year over year to 9 billion yen or $65.97 million. All right. So I'm not currently panicking. Okay. What happened? We'll get there. I want to talk about, I want to talk about everything before we get to the bottom, which is kind of the, the upswing, right? First of all, we talk about this, we talk about this a lot. So just remember that Capcom, like many Japanese companies, uh, we talk about the different business units. Right. Digital contents business, which is where their video games live. Um, really tough comp against last year. So that's part of what happened here. Now, the digital contents business is the biggest part of Capcom's revenue. Right. So last year, what did we have? We had Monster Hunter Rise. Hat just came out at the end of March. So it was still brand new in Q1 of last year. So yes. Right. And, and that was just on Switch. Right. That was just on Switch. And then what? Are Resident, Evil Village? Vi- Resident Evil Village, I think was what? February? Right. No. January? No. Was it Jan- It was end of no, January. No, no, no. There's no way. I thought it was a. Uh, I thought it was May. Oh, was it May? I think it Did was. Did they bump it? I think they had bumped it. Oh crap! Oh, we're now doing we it again. It now we gotta look it up. We're doing it again. Regular listeners know that we cannot handle not knowing. No, 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 no. He can't handle not knowing. Don't don't wow. lump me in. Wow. Don't lump me in, wow. David. Uh. <laughs> May seventh, twenty twenty one. Amanda was correct. As I often am. As you often are. Maybe I'm thinking of RE4 remake, which I think is due out in January. Possibly. Yes. Maybe. I'm just really trying to save face at this point. There's nothing to save face about. I, I remember I it coming out in May because I remember there was a big streamer push towards oh, it. Oh, okay. And I remember that it was around my mother's birthday. Got it. Okay. Those touch points are important. Yeah. Uh, catalog sales were up. Of course they were up. Of course, because all of these games that are doing well are catalog. Remember... We know that Village continued to sell well, and RE2 and RE3 remakes were, were continuing to sell well. Absolutely. We know that Rise sold well with the release of Sunbreak, which was, of course, not in... Was it? I think was that... Was that June still? Did that come out in June or July? I guess it was June. It was 
So it was part of that quarter. Yeah, but so, barely. Right. Like a little. So just remember that Rise would be considered catalog, but Sunbreak would be considered new. Exactly. So so that's a thing. Okay. Uh, digital contents unit sales dropped 54.8% year over year to 19.9 billion yen or $145.5 million. And the operating income for that business unit was down 48.7% year over year to 12.5 billion yen or $91.9 million. Again, the tough comp is a big piece of this, but it's not the only story. It is not the only story, but I do want to kind of loop back on that for just a quick second. We are seeing this year, whereas last year we were seeing the tail end of a lot of pre-COVID titles that were coming out and that were just Mm -hmm. being polished up in 2020 and throughout 2021, we are now firmly in a spot where there have been a number of delays as a result of COVID. I'm not saying that Capcom is necessarily lumped into this, but likely internally there have had to have been some shifts as a result. Right, just because we haven't seen external delays, externalized delays, as as you say, doesn't mean that things didn't, weren't moved internally so that some of these games might have come out earlier. Sure. So we are going to continue to see those slips based on Mm -hmm. a lot of the patterns that have come out over the course of the year because we're done the first half. Yeah. Of this calendar year. And right. we are seeing, we're still seeing things slip. Right. And I mean, I don't have them in quick hits, but we know that uh, Gollum slipped a few yep. months. We know that, what was the other game? Oh, um, Dark Tide just slipped a couple of months. Forspoken has slipped a couple of times. Like, it's not surprising to us when we see games slipping still. Um, we know that... Um, Ubisoft did their, we don't, we're still not covering Ubisoft earning and we'll talk about why later in the show, but they delayed a smaller Assassin's Creed title. Um, I think they said just a smaller unannounced title and, it was re- and there were reports that it was a smaller Assassin's Creed game. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, a lot of delaying going on. Delays, in, tri- in double and triple A. Yeah. Across the board. It's just, people are taking time. People are still working from home. Yes. Things aren't quite as emotionally dire as they were before we had vaccines and when everybody was in lockdown. But the ripple effect here, which is something we've been talking about, gosh, since this show started in 2020, we're feeling it. Yep. And it's there, we're not going to see things kind of normalize and equalize at least until mid-2023, I believe, if not later. I would imagine so. Yeah. And that's not even, to talk, that's not even talking about the hardware issue and the supply issues that, can, that continue. All right. So anyway, let's talk about the other three pillars of Capcom's business. Sure. Arcade operations, sales and profits were up over Q1 last year. That's Customers good. Customers are returning to arcades. Sales are up 37.5% to 3.3 billion yen or $24 million. If you don't keep the numbers in your head, just to give you a comparison real quick. Uh, digital contents were at 19.9 billion and were down by more than half. Uh, arcade operations only accounts for... A less than 25% of it. Yeah. It's about 20% of that. Not even. Uh, operating income was up 186 million yen or $1.4 million versus operating losses in Q1 of last year, 63 million yen yeah. or about $461,500. Makes sense. Uh, amusement equipments business. So this is the machines that they sell into, into gambling halls. So this is your pachinko and patchy slot, right? <laughs> Um, the market is still challenging. Net sales are down 49.3% year over year to 649 million yen. Again, even smaller than the arcade operations business. It's only $4.75 million. And operating income was up 
by 11.1% to 270 million yen or $1.98 million. Again, when you compare all these different business units, you can see just how important video games are to Capcom. No surprise there. Um, and this is my not shocked face. Interestingly, though, other businesses, which is their licensing character, merchandise, and esports, sales were up 72.5% to 1.4 billion yen or $10.5 million. And operating income was up 69.7% to 818 million yen or $6 million. The Resident Evil show on Netflix, for instance, which we started watching. It's, it's okay. Mixed reviews. It's okay. It's okay. It's it's a little strange, to say the least. I, I, I like I like it when I like it when creators are given a license and they play with it. Yeah. And they do something different and weird. And it's a weird show. Yeah. I don't hate it. Yeah. But I think it's very strange. Yeah, and give me anything with Lance Reddick, right? Like, Honestly, yeah. Every day of the week. Yep. And him as, as Wesker is, is it's super so cool. interesting. I like it's it. so cool. So despite all of that, and again, I told you not to worry, and here's why. Capcom's on track for its 10th consecutive year of operating, the net positive operating income, with Resident Evil 4 Remake, Exo Primal, and Street Fighter VI all on the horizon, and not to mention continued sales of the recent Resident Evil games and Monster Hunter Rise because of Sunbreak still doing gangbusters. Well. Yeah. Um, they're also planning a stock buyback. That, and as we have discussed many times in the past, a stock buyback is an opportunity for a company to show that it has confidence in the valuation of its own stock. Yeah, and they called it a stock cancellation, but essentially that's what a stock it's, buyback is. You spend the money to buy the stock and then you're essentially decreasing the amount of stock that's in the... Thereby the making it more valuable. Exactly. Um, so I think that, that this quarter was largely a factor of of last year's extremely strong comp, which we talked about a year ago. Yep. We so, said literally last year, well, next year's going to look a little rough. <laughs> yeah. So here we are. I'm not worried about Capcom. And They'll be fine. If Capcom, if I was ever worried about Capcom, uh, it, there was would, it was pre-Monster Hunter World where I was worried about Capcom. I was worried about Capcom before they, I mean, we're talking now six, seven, eight years ago before they realized that that the three R's were going to be really powerful for them and they leaned into that strategy. Mm -hmm. But I mean, today, if, if you ever hear me saying I'm really worried about Capcom, I think that that will be a signal that the entire industry is hurting in a big, big way because Capcom has been so consistent and so smart about its strategy. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that's where we are with that. Uh, next up, Microsoft. Let's jump right in for Q4 2022. So the full company, revenue was up 12% to $51.9 billion. Operating income is up 8% to $20.5 billion. Net income, net income sorry, is up just a little bit, about 2% to $16.7 billion. But what we care about mm -hmm. is gaming. Right. And the reason why we talk about the full company with multidisciplinary companies like Microsoft and Sony is to give you an idea of how gaming is doing relative to the, the whole. The rest of the company. So if the entire company is up and... Everything is marginal though right now right. with Microsoft. And it's not surprising that it's marginal because mm -hmm. gaming is marginally down. Right. So for the Q, for Q4 for gaming, um, gaming revenue declined 7%. Mm -hmm. That's minuscule in comparison to, I don't know, 40 plus percent that we just saw over at Capcom. Right, exactly. Right? Xbox gaming content and services revenue is down about 6%. And it's been attributed to lower engagement hours. The world is, you know, even though we're still dealing with a pandemic, more people are vaccinated, more things are open, there's more to do. Mm -hmm. Um, lower monetization in first party and third party content. Mm -hmm. uh, this is 
offset by growth in Game Pass subscriptions because they are in this really interesting liminal space of both needing more users but not needing to spend to get a ton of new users. They're very focused on retainment. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to point out that that was something we talked about last week with MPD, Indeed. where the only category that was up in U.S. spending was subscription spending. Right. Subscription spending is going to continue to be a measure of you know where players want to be putting their money. Mm-hmm. And there is, as we spoke about last week, there is a lot to love about paying for a subscription Mm -hmm. and having access to, you know, many, many, many games, especially first party games. Mm -hmm. Um, Harbor revenue was down 11%. So it's, I don't think it's because of supply. I think we are finally in a place where it's partly demand. Mm -hmm. All right. So full revenue Full year revenue for Xbox. Mm -hmm. So where we are right now. So this is the full year for um, fiscal 22. Mm -hmm. We're sitting at $16.2 billion. Yeah. It's, it's strong. Like it's strong. You know, things are still up. Things are still, things are still going well. So even though Q4 was down a little bit, it was. It's marginal. Yeah. It's marginal. And it's probably, it's likely going to remain marginal as Xbox continues to shore up its portfolio. And we'll get there. Mm -hmm. Fortnite added a million new players to the Xbox ecosystem with the launch of of Epic's game on Xbox Cloud Gaming. That is big. Right. Now this is, this was again really smart of Microsoft to capitalize on the App Store ban. Um, by saying you can still play on your phone if you play via cloud, cloud gaming. gaming. So that's worked out really well for them, obviously. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Huge. And rem- let's think back all the way back to 2018 mm-hmm. with the original push for user acquisition over on the Epic Game Store. Mm-hmm. It was originally a launcher just for Fortnite. Yep. And that, and that in turn led to more eyeballs on the first games that came out of the Epic Game Store. This is clearly a similar kind of push because if you're getting a million new people into the Xbox ecosystem, that's a million new people to take a look at the rest of your offerings as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's what CEO Satya Nadella had to say about Xbox. Xbox has been the market leader in North America for three quarters in a row among next-gen consoles. I, I really dislike that we're still calling it next gen. It's it's just current gen now. It's just current gen yeah the question though is that language very specifically to excise switch from the conversation i don't know i would still based on this based on the swold Mm -hmm. (laughs) i would consider you know nintendo to still be playing in the same if even if it's just a little bit different kind of sandbox as the rest of them sure i think that that what makes it very interesting here is that nintendo is usually uh, out of step a little bit. I don't mean that in a bad way, but in terms they of they just release do their games. own things. They do. So their they own don't thing. release. It's been it's been a while since you saw a contemporaneous release between an, the Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo consoles. So Nintendo typically releases off off schedule from Microsoft and Sony. I want to say, I want to say, based on this is just completely my own memory. It was either the GameCube or the N sixty four. Was the Wii. No. No? No. Because there were Wii versions of games coming out 
right around. It could have been the GameCube. I because GameCube was contemporaneous with the PS2 and the Xbox. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I I don't I don't remember. I think that the 64 was offset by a bit, but I think it was probably the GameCube. Mm-hmm. I don't know about the Wii though. I I don't think I was paying enough attention at that mm. time, um, mainly because I was really broke. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't afford all these. So that's what um, that's what Nadella had to say about Xbox. So there's not much mention of Activision, and we want to remind you all that the reason why we're not hearing anything about Activision with regards to Microsoft is because the deal has not yet closed. Remember mm-hmm. that they need to go through the steps in Europe in order to ensure that this is not an anti-competitive, monopolistic acquisition. Yeah. I don't think that it's going to be the U.S. that ends up holding that up. Despite, I do not. Despite what we'll talk about in a little bit, which is some interesting stuff going on at the FTC. However. Uh, however. Let's move right along. All right. Sony, Q1 2022 earnings. Again, for the full company, sales were up 2% to 2.3 trillion yen or $17.1 billion. Operating income was up 10% to 307 billion yen or $2.3 billion. And net income was up 3% to 218.2 billion yen or $1.6 billion. Okay. All right, let's talk about gaming and network services. This is the stuff that matters. Uh, There have been 21.7 million PS5 shipped since launch in November 2020. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sales are down 2% to 604.1 billion yen or $4.5 billion, uh, offset by positive uh, foreign exchange. Got it. So just keep that in mind for a sec. Operating income was down... 36.6% 36.6% to 52.8 billion yen Dang. or $392.4 million, but we'll get to why that is. Uh, Sony I have has re- some thoughts. Sony has reduced the full year forecast by 40 billion yen for sales or about $297.3 million. It's about 1%. Okay. So it's just a little shift down. Yep. Uh, they also reduced uh, the full year forecast for operating income by 50 billion yen or $371.6 million. That's about 16%. That is a not insignificant adjustment. No. Uh, so results for the quarter are due to, and this is going to sound very familiar to what we just talked about with Microsoft, sales of first-party games, as well as third-party full games and add-on content. Yeah. Operating income was affected by an increase in costs for game development at existing studios. So they're doing more investment in their studios. Investment both in R&D and in likely, you know, they were talking about a lot of multiplayer, a, a number of multiplayer games mm-hmm. and live service games that they want to be working on over the next five, ten years. Right. Um, for the full year, Sony's expecting lower third-party game and add-on content Not sales surprising. to be a trend uh, through the end of the fiscal year. Um, additionally, negative foreign exchange rates and an increase in expenses due to the $3.7 billion purchase of Bungie will bring down operating income. So that's that's where that's where we're seeing some of that dip. Um, engagement is down. Again, we saw this with, with Microsoft. Engagement um, is down everywhere. Mm-hmm. So um, in terms of MAUs, it's a drop of $3 million from $105 million this time last year, and $106 million last quarter. So they're down quarter over quarter as well. Mm. Again, experiential opportunities and spending going up, yeah. as well as inflation and everything inflation. Are, are depressing everything. It's not just gaming, but no, gaming no. is not... You mentioned this. This is something you said we were in the kitchen the other day. Mm-hmm. And, while, and, and why don't you say it? Go ahead, because it's your line. Oh, about gaming being pandemic-proof, but not recession-proof? Exactly. It's... Look, we, we've been discussing this for two years, right? We wanted to see, that was part of the reason why we started the show when we started it, is mm-hmm. we wanted to catalog what was going on in the game industry to better understand, you know, to help to help folks better understand, you know, what 
is happening, what was happening then and how that could lead to where we are now. Where we are now is not as a result of anything specifically gaming related. We're in this place right now because we are absolutely heading toward a global recession, potentially not in the same scale that we saw in 2008, 2009, Mm -hmm. but we'll have to see. Yeah, certainly different different cause. Like we're not dealing with the United States triggering a massive economic downturn due to the housing crisis that happened. Due due to subprime mortgages and credit default swaps and all the things that investment banks were doing that were literally criminal and then no one went to jail. Right. But here we're dealing with Russia. Yes. Yes, we are. And the tail end of the pandemic. Like there's a number of things at play here. We're still having supply issues. We're still now dealing... Although because of the cryptocurrency... I don't like. I hesitate to call it a crash. Crypto winter. Oh my god! Did you hear that somewhere? Yes. Really? Yes. Oh no. Crypto winter. Sure, but also never say that again because that sounds terrible, and not in a fun way. No. But for real, like because crypto took a nosedive. Crypto winter. <laughs> I can't stop him, folks. He's just going to do whatever he wants to do. This is normal. Um, because of that we are likely going to see more influx of it, at the very least, GPUs. Mm-hmm. Like, GPUs are available now. That's weird. How wild. That's weird. Remember, remember, like, three years of not being able to get a GPU? Oh, only three years? Clearly, you're not from Canada. Oh, well, no, I'm not, you see. <laughs> I should be so lucky. You um, should. So, rounding out Sony, the company has picked up a million PlayStation Plus users since this time last year. Okay. But lost 100,000 since last quarter. Oh boy. Yeah. I, I will say that, you know, one of the things that I, we've talked about how confusing the new structure is. Oh for yeah. PlayStation plus. And there's still PlayStation plus games, man, they should have, they should call, they should call them something else because, Oh, these are your PS plus essential games. Oh wait, those are the ones I have to go claim every month or else they go away. Not the ones that are part of the catalog. It's so confusing. Like they've done a, you honestly need, higher education in this particular in, in like PlayStation Plus I don't want nonsense. A degree in PlayStation. No, it's bad. Yeah. It's bad actually. Yeah. You know what's really interesting though, Mike? We what? have like we have some investment stories. We have four four investment Not stories. as many investment stories as we had last week, but also we were gone for two weeks. Yeah. So. And these are these are these are light. These aren't so many like there's one deal, two deals, and then there's some yeah, two of them are deals and two of them are uh, other interesting little notes that I sl- uh, slotted into uh, investment. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get started. We're going to talk about investments now. Yeah. Hooray. Hey, no SPACs this week, folks. No SPACs, no pipes. Although I will say this. I talked about, we talked about FaZe last, last week. I've been watching that stuff. plan, yeah. Yeah. That SPAC is, is inching towards what it was when they announced the merger, when they when they rang the bell. I have a feeling that investors got really spooked because they don't they didn't understand what it was that they were investing in. And listen, yeah. FaZe, as far as, as esports is concerned, FaZe is, you know, cr- is close to the cream of the crop. Yeah. So... It's going to be very interesting to see how that recovers. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about, shockingly, RuneScape, but also not RuneScape, Mm because we're going to talk about Jagex. So RuneScape developer Jagex has acquired Oregon-based Pipeworks, a studio that has worked on co-development and live ops projects with a number of partners, including Wizards of the Coast, Activision, and EA Sports. Pipeworks has shipped more than 125 games, and it employs more than 200 people. This is Jagex's 
first acquisition. Yeah, their first studio acquisition, I think they yes. said. I don't know if it's their first, first acquisition. First studio ac- acquisition. Yeah. So as a reminder, Jagex was acquired by Carlisle Europe Technology Partners in 2021. They've had a long circuitous route, Jagex. It's been a weird one. Honestly, we should just we should we should see if we can corner people that can talk about all of the Jagex mm, nonsense at some I point. I wonder what you're thinking about. Yeah, I was thinking about a particular conversation that we had in a particular time with a particular person. Well, there you go. I know. As, as one might. As one might. Yeah. What else is going on? Uh, next up, Wizards of the Coast has opened a new video game studio in Austin, Texas called Skeleton Key. Ooh. The studio is led by Dragon Age executive producer Christian Daly, who is serving as VP and head of studio. And this marks Wizards of the Coast's sixth game studio. I didn't actually realize they had five other game studios. This is news yeah. to me. This is personally news. There's... Uh, Archetype Entertainment, which is also based in Austin. Uh Uh-huh. Atomic Arcade, which is in Raleigh. Okay. Took Games, which is in Montreal. And there are two studios that they didn't name in the press release that are in Washington. That are just like in Washington. I'm wondering, though, if those studios are just Wizards of the Coast studios and don't have their own names. I would imagine. Which is probably why they didn't, like, give them names. Not like... We have, we have studios and you're not allowed to know who they are, but, but, but we have studios, man. Dang. Yeah. What's up next? All right, media company Three Black Dot, which reps 100 or so creators and works with celebrities and brands for integrations, has a new owner. CEO Reginald Cash purchased the company for $87 million from French company um, Webedia, which was planning to sell to a private equity firm. This is, this is a much more pleasant result. I really, we love to see it when companies get saved from private equity yeah. firms. Um, this makes Three Black Dot a rare black-owned media company. Like, th- th- like this almost never happens. Yeah, this is their story was really interesting. This was in the Wall Street Journal and the links in the show notes, where um, Reginald Cash, obviously being a black man, uh, has especially in the wake of the George Floyd murder, you know, they really stepped up their their the intensity of their work with. Uh, black creators yeah and it's really cool to see how this has evolved and to see him now own the company and i'm very i'm very excited to see what yeah this is really really cool so the company has made working with underrepresented communities a core pillar Mm -hmm. of its business and you may be familiar with um activations like gaming while black which is sponsored by doritos and the animated series alpha betas so that's all Three black dot stuff. It was really interesting. That's really neat. I mean, and honestly, good for them. And I'm gonna I'm gonna just say this out loud because I don't think we've said this on the show yet. Um, as much as everyone was beating down the doors of black creators and developers and storytellers and artists and everything like that throughout 2020 and into 2021, if you have gone silent and you are not keeping up that work now. That means it was all performative and it was all bullshit. So take a look at your internal mechanisms and ensure that you are not one of those companies. Yeah, it's it's really telling. And we've seen a number of our friends in the black community say this yearly, right? Yeah. If you're only reaching out to black creators in February for Black History Month, then you're really not committed to this. If you're only reaching out to LGBTQ creators during Pride... You are not actually committed to this. These are people who should be in your rotation all the time. All year. And it's the same thing with Women's History Month. Yep. So all really important stuff and stuff to consider as we as we continue to move forward with diversity, equity, and inclusion within gaming and 
quite frankly, everywhere else. Yep. So the last story, this was a really great interview on Games Industry. This was, I read this one. This was an excellent interview. Yes. And it was with Eidos Montreal founder, uh, Stefan Dustus. Help me out here. You're giving me the look. Go ahead. I actually don't know. <laughs> Wait, so you gave me the look. I'm like, that's not, that's not. Dustus. The Astus. I actually don't know. Um, and I don't want to butcher. I don't want to oh, butcher Stefan's last name. Oh, you're going to just let me do it. Oh, Mike, here's the, here's the meat cleaver. Do the thing. Oh, I'm sorry. You mean like what you do with me with a lot of Eastern European last names you that great you, that you, you do so well? You actually speak French a bit, though. No, I do, but it doesn't mean that I speak a lot of French. And the Astuce? I, th- I think it's Astu. The Astu. Yeah. Okay. Stefan de Astu. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I th- I don't think it. Stefan, I don't think if you're if you're listening, please. We're so sorry. We're sorry. We're sorry. So I, sorry. I know I'm the worst Canadian, but also please spare me. I grew up in British Columbia. He is actually an interesting character because I think that was the E3 where I was supposed to interview him for for Variety. He obviously knows a lot about what was going on at Square Enix and was reacting to the Embracer purchase. Yeah. Now, you'll recall that Embracer sold Crystal Dynamics, Square Enix Montreal, and Eidos Montreal to Embracer for... Embracer sold to Embracer? Square Enix, Square Enix sold, sold to, to Embracer. Embracer. I'll get there. It's okay. Those three studios... Yes. ...and a bunch of IP... Indeed. ...for $300 million, which we, we thought was like, like a fire sale, which is ridiculous. It's, it's absolutely ris- ridiculous. Like, at the very least, it should have been... $200 million more. At, at the very least. At the very least. Because in the interview, he makes the comparison to how much Embracer bought Gearbox for. And it was like a billion, $1.1 billion. It was I like remember. something huge, right? It was enormous. And, got, and they don't have nearly as many IP. They don't have nearly as much IP, successful no, IP. No, they don't. And they have the same number of employees as just Eidos Montreal. So that doesn't even count Crystal and Square Enix Montreal. Okay. So, so talk to me about what he had to say. He said, and this is the quote that kind of made the headline and made headlines elsewhere when it was re-recorded, was a quote, train wreck in slow motion. We have often Dang. talked about Square Enix putting pressure and expectation on its Western studios that it didn't even hold its Eastern studios to. Yeah. Here's the anecdote that stood out to me. He was talking about how in 2012, the Ido Studios were expected to generate $65 million in profit. Okay. They actually lost that much that year because they had no deliverables that year. No, sh- They weren't sh- planned to ship any games. And Square's like, well, you have to generate $65 million in profit. Well, Catalog's not going to get you there. No. So... And we weren't doing the three R's back then. No. So it wasn't like there was... We were... I mean, back in 2012, we were still breaking free of that ship and layoff, ship and layoff cycle. Right. Because that was before the Xbox One and PlayStation 4 came out when everything became digital day and date. Right. As well as moving to a more, a stronger service model that enabled, yeah. Yeah. So. It was ugly. It was um, was ugly. It's still kind of ugly. It really is. So Dastu attributes some of the problems to the headquarters in Japan. Mm Mm-hmm. But also pointed the finger at London. Oh. And the reason why he's pointing the finger at London is because that's where Square Enix West was run out of. And you might recall that Phil Rogers, who was the CEO for, for Square Enix in Europe and America, he bailed out. He got himself included in the Embracer purchase. So he is not even Square Enix anymore. No. He went with those studios. Um, one of the other things that 
was pointed out in the interview is that IO Interactive, which we've talked about a number of times, you know, Square was looking to sell them because yeah. Hitman wasn't doing the numbers that they wanted it to do. So they sell. So IO says, we'll buy ourselves. We don't want to be sold off to anybody. We just like, we, we just, just want to be independent. I remember that. And I remember like you were reporting on that uh-huh. when that happened. Yep. And it's kind of amazing. It's a success story because if you look at how well IO has done with the Hitman World of Assassination trilogy, and now they've got a James Bond game coming. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That might get me interested in playing because Hitman's not really my kind of game. Hitman's funny to me. Like, you, I, I like Hitman a lot. And that's fine. I need to play more of it, but that, I, I like it That's okay. You're allowed to like things that I don't like. Oh, thank God. <laughs> what is that supposed to mean? I am like the world's most intense hype machine. And it's like, oh, thank God I'm allowed to like things that you don't like. Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> so that's everything for investment. Obviously, you know, much thinner than last week. But we had some really cool, interesting stories that we wanted to include here. And we hope you enjoyed them too. I'm going to yeet you off the balcony. I hope so. <laughs> but first, we have to take a break so that I can do that. Virtual Economy is an F-squared initiative, and along with pro bono business consulting for up-and-coming developers, it's a way we are working to give back to the community that has already given us so much. To find out more about F-squared and the services we can provide, including pitch prep, media training, mock reviews, and business strategy guidance, visit our website at fsquared.biz. And we're back. Hey, Mike. Yep. What time is it? It's time for Quick Hits. Oh, very beautiful. Why, thank you. Very beautiful. Okay. Let's talk about Minecraft. Oh, let's do it. Just real quick. I love this so much. So Moyang has put its foot down about third-party plans to create NFT-driven Minecraft elements. There are these people, and this is the dumbest fudging thing, because what they were doing was they were trying to sell Minecraft seeds on the blockchain as NFTs, but anybody could just put that seed number in and, and, and use it. Like, you know, to quote Shorzy, so dumb. So dumb. So here's what the Minecraft folks had to say. Okay. To ensure that Minecraft players have a safe and inclusive experience, blockchain technologies are not permitted to be integrated inside our client and server applications. Nor may Minecraft in-game content such as worlds, skins, Persona items or other mods be utilized by blockchain technology to create a scarce digital asset. So these NFT shills at NFT Worlds, they were building out a crypto-tainted economy for, for, the, for the game. And they have now proclaimed that they are going to make their own Minecraft alike and it's going <laughs> to be amazing. And it's going to have so much NFT stuff that, oh my god, it's going to make everything so much better for everybody. Oh my god, why? <laughs> Sure, Jan. Yeah. It's so bad. <laughs> That's real bad. Don't love that. Do love Mo Yang's approach, though. Yes. That's pretty great. All right. Minecraft. Or sorry, not Minecraft. Um, I'm just thinking about how proud I am of Mo Yang. Yes. I just really am. Love that. PlayStation is working to level the playing field for smaller developers with hardware loans. Yeah, this is great. This is super cool because I don't know if you all know this, and you might because chances are you have developed games if you listen to this podcast. But those friggin' developer kits are spendy. And, right. And and there is a, a measure of gatekeeping that exists in the console space because you yeah. need to have the dev kits. You have to have the dev kit. 
All right, so this is a quote. Newly licensed PlayStation game publishers and developers will be eligible to receive one PlayStation 5 development kit and one PlayStation 5 testing kit complements of Sony Interactive Entertainment to applicable terms and conditions. To take advantage of this, you need to sign up at partners.playstation.net. Yep, do that. If you are interested in developing on PlayStation, go through the process because now that financial barrier is is removed, which mm-hmm. I think is fantastic. Uh, Sensor Tower reports that Diablo Immortal has now crossed $100 million in revenue following its launch in China this week. Uh, and that's just two months after its release widely everywhere else. What did I say from the beginning? Oh, this is exactly what you said. What did I say? It was 2018. It was going to print money. Don't you have a phone? I was in the audience. I know you were in the audience. The whole thing was ridiculous. I was so upset. I was like, that's the wrong way to handle this, bro. Wrong way. Anyway, um, speaking of wrong things, uh, Roblox (laughs) is always a wrong thing in my mind. Roblox has removed its iconic oof sound suddenly due to a licensing issue. This this story is so fudging weird. So you may or may not recall that in 2019, there was a dispute over this sound, which was recorded for the 1999 game Messiah. The sound itself is actually owned by Tommy Tallarico, who settled with Roblox. But as part of the settlement, Tallarico joined the Roblox storefront with a number of sound library offerings, as well as the OOF merchandise in the Roblox store. So the iconic sound is now gone, and Roblox users are unhappy. OOF. <laughs> I actually had to go and look it up. I had to go and look. I'm like, what is this sound that everybody loves so much? And it sounds like you're punching a kid in the stomach. That's horrible. Oof. That's that I know. I don't like Roblox. I mean, it's is there a better like analogy for Roblox? Punching a kid in the stomach? No. Oof. Yeah, yeah. Company script will do that. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and those were quick hits. And now we have the labor report. Once again, we are talking about everybody's favorite company to hate, Activision Blizzard. Oh god, can Microsoft just buy them already? I mean, I mean, I don't. It's not even a matter of the monopoly. It's just like, get yeah, buy them and fire the C-suite and take care of our employees, and it'll be like a Cinderella story. Okay. Put the glass slipper up, Bobby Kotick's pooper, <laughs> <laughs> and then kick him. <laughs> <laughs> Mazel tov. <laughs> Michael! Holy smokes, we are not supposed to get violent on this show. It's not violent. It's a joyful celebration. Are you saying this is praxis? I, I, I could be. Oh, okay. Mazel well, neat. Oh, just the more you say it, <laughs> it doesn't make it better. Uh, you know what? You may not understand this reference, so I'm going to explain No, it. So you are I, absolutely not. Wedding, no. At a Jewish wedding. What you do is you stomp on a glass and the idea is that you want to break it into as many pieces as possible because each little piece represents a year of happiness in your marriage. So now you understand my joke. And if you're Jewish, I hope you enjoyed my explanation of a joke you already got. Okay, well, apparently Mike is not going to do the labor report, so I'm going to. Okay. Approximately 500 Activision Blizzard employees walked out last week to protest the company's silence on abortion rights and to reinforce demands to end gender inequity. Here are a list of the demands. There are so many good demands here. So many good demands. All right, I'm going to go through them. 
All ABK employees must have the option to choose fully remote work. If remote is not possible, they should have the option to relocate to an office in a safe state or county. Country. country sorry. Country, jeez. Yeah. 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 All right. All ABK employees currently residing in locations passing discriminatory legislation must be offered relocation assistance to a safe state or country. ABK must provide uh, COL, so cost of living adjustments. Thank you. I was going to say that. um, To compensate employees who relocate to a safe state or country due to discriminatory legislation. So if they have to move you to, let's say, California, and they move you to the Bay Area... What they're saying is you should be giving somebody a cost of life adjustment. Yeah. Because, a cost of living adjust, adjustment because it's more expensive to work. Way, yeah. way more expensive. ABK must ensure that its health insurance partners covers transgender and reproductive health care, including abortion. If employees must travel to receive this, ABK must cover all travel expenses. Management must immediately and transparently enact plans to allow relocation from locations which are passing anti-abortion anti-LGBTQIA+, or any other demonstrably discriminatory legislation. Employees must be included in the audit slash report requested by shareholders to make sure that the sexual harassment audit was conducted fairly and exhaustively. Mm -hmm. ABK leadership must agree to to hold regular meetings with members of the worker-led Committee Against Sex and Gender Discrimination. Which we covered last week, I think? We did. ABK must sign a labor neutrality agreement like Microsoft did recently so workers can freely organize and bargain for concessions. These are eight reasonable demands. They are absolutely reasonable demands. And this was the fifth ABK walkout. Yep. Five. Yep. Additionally, a trial date has been set for the Blizzard employee who filed a sexual harassment suit against the company. The trial is set to begin on August 2nd, 2023. ABK, get it together, y'all. Yeah. Uh, Shifting over to Ubisoft. (laughs) Who also needs to get it together. Uh, They really need to get it together. A year after issuing its demands to management, a better Ubisoft reports that zero, no, nil progress has been made on its demands. As a reminder, the group wants to stop promotions and shuffling of known offenders from team to team and studio to studio. They want a seat at the table with management. They want a set of processes to handle offenses and involvement of non-management employees in decision-making. Since signing their open letter, the group says that 25% of signers have left the company. Of those who quit, 60% use he, him pronouns, 39% use she, her pronouns, and 1% use they, them pronouns. Wow. So you've got, you've got male facing employees who are leaving now. Ubisoft, uh, a better Ubisoft also says that just 25.4% of Ubisoft's workforce are women. Which explains the proportions of this of the signers on the letter. Makes sense. Um, but this is both disproportionate and women leaving are heavily weighted toward those who signed the letter. So if you look at the women in the company who are leaving, most of the ones who are leaving are signers or signatories on that letter. Like Ubisoft's got huge problems and they are just not dealing with it. They are not dealing with it. And the the big problem is like they are going to need to continue to be crushed um, financially. Mm-hmm. Because I heard whispers that Ubisoft did exceptionally they did, they, poorly. Yes. Like they tanked. They did tank. It was a very, very bad quarter. Again, we don't cover Ubisoft because of these these things, but it was a terrible, terrible quarter. They've delayed games. It's it's a mess. Fix they are in your disarray. culture. Fix your culture. And that company, after surviving a hostile takeover, 
Like, if, this is if the Vendi had waited, if the Vendi had waited, they would have actually won out. Like, that's the thing that kills me here. This is shameful. It is terrible. It's absolutely, absolutely shameful. Uh, but we have uh, four more stories. They're not shameful And things stories. are starting to, to turn up. Yeah. Just a little bit. Um, hold on a sec. There is, there are two pieces here that do not belong with this story. <laughs> I see that. Yeah, go ahead. All right. The California DFEH's $100 million settlement. Now, if you don't remember what DFEH stands for, it is the Department of Fair Employment and Housing in California. Um, the $100 million settlement settlement with Riot Games has been finalized with more than 1,000 women eligible to claim against the company. The settlement covers the period from November 2014 through December 2021. The DFEH was instrumental in raising the settlement amount from 10 million to 100 million after it objected to the initial settlement. This is an enormous win for the DFEH, which has been less successful in fighting for Activision employees after a wrist slap EEOC settlement of a mere $18 million. But I'm I'm heartened. So I when I put this, like, yes, they've been less successful. And I didn't want to put this in the notes because this is kind of me inserting myself here. I am I am retaining hope here that their success with Riot may actually sway. I hope so. Look at what we did. Look at how successful this was. Look at how important this is. The $18 million from the EOC is not enough. It's, it's not. not enough. It's not even remotely enough. So the Riot settlement, and thankfully, is opt-out rather than opt-in. Which means... There's no chance of somebody saying, I didn't get any, or running into a situation where they don't get the paperwork in the mail and opt in in time, or they're dealing with something else, or they... They, they didn't realize. They didn't realize. This is, you are automatically included. And if you unless don't, you don't want, want to, to be, be. Exactly. Yeah. Unless you don't want to be included. Riot will also have three years of oversight to ensure culture change. We'll see what happens. We will see what happens. I mean, we're about to get into it because what a difference four years made. Over at this next studio. Yep. Good news out of Rockstar. Yeah. Bloomberg reporting a rare positive piece that was like with with source like this wasn't a puff piece. This wasn't an authorized you know interview or expose or expose or feature. This was something that was reported out through sourcing. Yeah. Um. In the same way that all of the very negative uh, labor stories that we've been hearing over the past few years, especially. Or reported out. So so there's this is really interesting. Um, first of all, Rockstar is really working to clean up its act, not just internally, but the way but the way it approaches its narrative. Um, GTA six uh, will likely have, if the report is correct, uh, and the sources you know that Bloomberg got were were accurate. I don't see any reason why this, you know, why they might not be. Um, GTA 6 will feature the series' first female protagonist. Well, I, under, my, my understanding is that it'll have both a man and, and a woman, or a Bonnie and Clyde type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that when we when GTA 5 was released on the most recent consoles, a number of transphobic jokes were removed. And that was not a one-off. That was part of the culture change going on at Rockstar, where they are really focused on punching up and not punching down. That's Which, the that that's the mark of great comedy mm-hmm. is punching up. Punching down in comedy is lazy. Yeah. It's lazy, it's harmful, it's ridiculous. It's why we have seen it's why we have seen older male comics 
held accountable Mm -hmm. for not changing with the times because punching down is easy, but punching up is impactful. It is. It absolutely is. And it's one of the reasons why I was, you know, when Jon Stewart was hosting The Daily Show, when Stephen Colbert was hosting The Colbert Report, um, both of them I really had a lot of appreciation for. And even Jon Stewart out there today, who's still, you know, he's imperfect, to be clear. Everyone's imperfect, but, though. But um, he's still out there speaking truth to power. Mm-hmm. And, and I really appreciate that about him. Uh, so some of the other things that are going on. Um, if you don't recall Rockstar, this, this report about Rockstar came out after, <laughs> alongside this horrible puff piece in Vol- like that Vulture published about Rockstar, which was just, it was just lacquer. Yeah, it was, it, 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 it was, it was really, it was shockingly tone deaf. Um, tone deaf. Yeah. Um, but Rockstar had an, uh, one of the worst crunch cultures in the industry. You had abusive leadership. Yep. Uh, and it was just just terrible. And now to see it was this, a nightmare. this turnaround, um, apparently the gender pay gap has been narrowed Good. at the studio. Uh, they've made a commitment that excessive overtime will not be necessary. And there's an uh, addition of what they call flexitime that allows employees to take off time for every extra hour worked immediately. Wow. Which is the big thing. It's not like, oh, hey, you have to wait until the game ships and then you can take this time off. It's no, you worked 50 hours this week. Okay, you can take 10 hours off next week you want, or you can split it out however you want, but mm-hmm. you get it immediately. It's immediately banked, which is huge. Um, a number of managers that were guilty of abusive behavior have mm-hmm. been fired. Good. Um, but the most telling quote for the pe- from the piece for me was that uh, a, a source saying that Rockstar has been transformed from a, quote, boys club into a, quote, real company. That's really great. It's telling. And it's this, the kind of things, and this is why this reporting is important and has been important. Uh, and, and I'm really delighted because Rockstar was one of the worst offenders. Yep. And they're not the only one. No. Obviously we've got Activision and Ubisoft and we've got some of the culture issues at some of the, some of the Sony studios and some of the reported culture issues at some of the Microsoft owned studios. And so there's, there are issues, right? There are issues in, in honestly, we could look anywhere and everywhere from, from indie mm-hmm. all the way up to triple A mm-hmm. in any publisher, in any development studio or label, it doesn't matter. Chances are you have had issues with toxic people, mm-hmm. toxic, um, toxic structures mm-hmm. and crunch and everything to do with it. If you have not been building your company and your company's culture in a methodical, really purposeful way. Yep. I, I'm really hopeful. I'm actually, I, I, I am, I, my interest is peaked for GTA 6. I'm not, I played GTA 3, I played Vice City, I didn't play San Andreas. Um, I played a little bit of 4. Um, I thought the immigrant story there, the bits that I played was actually really interesting. I, I played a bit of 5. I think I purchased that game a couple of times and I barely played it. Um, you know, but I, I'm really, I was really delighted to hear they took the transphobic jokes out. And it makes me think like, maybe I'll go revisit it just to, just to see. You know, I know, I know that's not your cup of tea. Never going to be my cup of tea. Um, I, I really, I really dislike a lot of Rockstar's, a lot of Rockstar's games. Really the only game, it's very the sp- only games that I really enjoyed that were Rockstar. Bully. I loved Bully. Uh, I loved yeah, Vice City. Um, and I loved L.A. Noir. Yep. Despite and, all of, of the team Bondi stuff, which we want to talk about crunch and abusive horrible. shit. Um, you know, the interesting thing for me is that Vice City was less cynical than it was. some of the other which is why events. which is why I liked it because I don't deal well with cynical humor because I'm not a cynic mm-hmm. and so it doesn't appeal to me 
I feel like a lot of rock stars cynical humor appeals to a very certain person that just sees the world in this very cynical capacity. And Mm -hmm. I just, I can't, I don't, I can't subscribe to it. And so I love, I love hopefulness and bully was really a game about sticking up your middle finger at authority. authority, Why would you like something like that? What are you saying? I'm saying you have a problem with authority, Miss <laughs> Farrow. That's Mrs. Farrow to you, sir. <laughs> what? What gives, man? I mean, is it not the truth? I feel very cold <laughs> out. In the best Here's way. Here are my middle fingers. Apparently I'm authority, folks. Apparently. She just gave me two hot dogs. Two hot dogs. A double hot dog. Yeah, there it is. All right, what do we got next? LA-based indie studio Tender Claws is the latest to unionize with the help of the CWA. The union received unanimous support from its 13-person bargaining unit that includes both part-time and full-time workers. The union says that management has agreed to voluntarily recognize the union. Tender Claws is the studio behind um, virtual virtual reality mm-hmm. and its sequel and a VR immersive theater experience called The Under Presents Tempest, which is based on Shakespeare's play. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very, very cool. All right. Wrapping up labor. Uh, Card Kingdom, which we have visited. I love Card Kingdom. Uh, it's a large retailer affiliated with the Mox Boarding House in Seattle, Washington. Nice. We actually went there with your, your folks. We it's in Ballard. House. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, they've unionized. Yeah, good for them. Final vote was 111 to 16, and management did not choose to voluntarily recognize the union back in May which led to the official NLR, NLRB vote. So congratulations to uh, the union at Way to Kingdom. stick it to the man, guys. Very exciting. All right, we have one more one more story before we wrap up. And oh, this, is, this story is infuriating. Oh so Meta, which lost money for the first time. Sorry, what, is, what Meta? What are, what are they? I hate so much. I'm it's, sorry, what do they do? It's, it's, it's uh, Zuck's truck. It's a food <laughs> truck. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> uh, Carry on. They may, they, they may be at your favorite old people ranting about alt-right conspiracies website, Facebook. Yeah. 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 Good, good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, so they've announced uh, that three years into its life, mm-hmm. the Oculus Quest 2 headsets are getting a price... Drop? Hike. What? No. Yes. No. This is, uh, this is unprecedented. This is how to tell me how to tell me you don't understand video games without telling me that you don't understand video games. So here's the funny thing. Like we have seen if you look at the pricing that's happened in the video game industry across the board, like Sony did not repeat its mistake with the PlayStation 3, right? No. But it did raise that price and it did find some success. Yes. Ultimately, at the end of the generation, it ultimately found that success. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Hardware, as we know, is typically a loss leader. It's sold less than the than the cost of components and manufacturing in order for attach rates of software. Go back two years. Go back two mm-hmm. years in this show, and we actually have an entire conversation about hardware and philosophy. Was this, with Matt? this might have been with Matt. Actually, we had, yes. we had Matt on a number of times. This that was year. in September, I believe, of 2020. Oh, that was definitely one of the Matt Piscatello shows. Yeah, like we had him on like three weeks in a row. It was just amazing. it was amazing. I loved it so. But much. we had a we had a really good conversation. We had a number of good conversations about the importance of understanding what hardware is there to do. Right. It's so, there to sell software. So they're raising the price. Oh my God. I got to read this note that I wrote in the fake. I was in salty town. 
The company that runs Facebook, poisons elections, and wants to control your every waking thought is dumping huge <laughs> amounts of money into VR chasing the metaverse. So they're raising the price. Even though they lost $2.8 billion in the last quarter on VR. Right. They're still, they, well, you've got to subsidize it, new users. Yeah. Oh, she's, she's giving me a hot dog again, folks. <laughs> no, it's not for you. Oh, it's for the Zuck truck. Okay. The Zuck truck. <laughs> Can um, we start calling Meta the Zuck truck? Yes. Because I'm so here for that. It's way better. So they're raising the price of the 128 gigabyte model. That's storage. 128 gigabytes of storage to $399 from $299. Oh, my God. And they're raising the 256 gigabyte model from $399 to $499. So each of them is going up $100. Here's the thing. I will cop to this one thing. The, the Quest 2 is more affordable than any other VR headset on the market. It's also less powerful than, let's say, the Vive Pro or whatever because... The Vive Pro is exquisite yeah. or the Index. And the PSVR 2, which actually details about that were announced on the same day. Not pricing details and not release date details, but just more... More in, tech more, details. More tech details. Which is fine, but not relevant to our conversations. Really. Um, those came out the same day they announced this price hike. <laughs> now... Are they still going to be the most affordable entry point? Yes. And. And this sends such a clear message of we are screwed because we're dumping so much money into this. Because it's not just the headsets that are getting a price hike. It's actually the accessories. And I've never seen this before. The refurb units are also getting a price hike. Now, they're three years in. We know they're working on their next, probably going to be called the Quest 3 or something along those lines. Self-contained, untethered headset. Just raise the price then, guys. If you can say, look, we everybody can, would accept component costs have gone up, shipping costs sure. have gone up. You know, Absolutely. This is more powerful. And like you spin it with marketing language. This is more powerful. There's, you've, seen, you've never seen anything like this. It is such a huge step above the Quest 2. You want to raise the prices at that point? Mm-hmm. Like do that and you've got an easy marketing message and you've yeah. got people who are probably going to be excited to purchase one. Again, I have a feeling that there would be interest here. Oh, I don't know if I, if I didn't even put this in the story. But I, w- I was about to say about the Facebook login. Oh, well that can too. We, Go can ahead. we yeah. talk about that real yeah. quick? Remember how we said that that was going to be a real turnoff for a lot of people is and that they had to have a Facebook mm-hmm. account in order to log in and use the Quest. So they couldn't leave Facebook without terminating their their Quest purchases. Right. And so people like me, where I still have an original Quest, I'm like, there's no way. I'm not getting a Quest 2. There's no way I'm going to well, get that. Well, yours is going to get trans- you're, you're gonna, They're going to force you to transfer over at some point. Anyway. Or they were going to force you to transfer over. It doesn't matter. Point. I don't really use VR anyway. But my point is, is that they've removed that requirement. And now you have to have a meta account, which makes sense. It's like you're still getting it's your different. data to them, but it's not. It's not your Facebook account, though. You don't have to have a Facebook account. You have a meta account, which which I think is a much more streamlined approach. And it's separate. Mm-hmm. So, Just like uh, you used to have to have an Oculus account. Right. So here's what they said. Quote, the cost to make and ship our products have been on the rise. By adjusting the price of Quest 2, we can continue to grow our investment in groundbreaking nope. research and nope. new product development that pushes the VR industry to new heights. No. Nope. No. Nope. Eat it. No. Nope. Eat it. Like, you this is it. the this wrong is, call. This is really bad. This is, we are absolutely, like, your note, your next note on this, like, the price hike on a piece of gaming hardware is absolutely unprecedented. This is, again, one of those opportunities where how to tell me you don't know anything about gaming without telling me you know anything about mm-hmm. gaming um, and it does send out that very clear message of we are putting barriers up. So they want this, because remember, this isn't really about VR. 
No. This is about a me. This VR is about is a the metaverse. The VR isn't uh, exactly. It's about the metaverse that Zuck has been chasing for the last four years, essentially. Yep. So, the one thing that I didn't put in here is is that the FTC is actually suing Meta to prevent the purchase of Within, which owns Supernatural. I agree, and I think that because Supernatural Within rather does have such an enormous community. So many people use that application. Including me. And, you know, and our partner, Danielle. Yep, absolutely. You know, it. it's really, it would not be acceptable. It would mm-hmm. not be an acceptable purchase. Everybody in this house that uses Supernatural is rooting for the FTC to shut this down. I would feel bad for the great folks over at Within if if this means, if this hurts them in some way. No, I don't want it to hurt them. I just want, you know, get get investors Get investors. Yeah. Also, you can email us and talk to us and like talk to us. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> talk to F squared. So, so this is just this one continues to make me scratch my head. It, if you underpriced your hardware when it came out, don't make that the consumer's problem. Do not you are pass sending that the on wrong to the consumer. Message here. Yeah, do not pass it on yep. to the consumer. Just like. But you lost $2.8 billion chasing VR. It's not on hardware. In a quarter, it's not hardware loss. In a quarter. In a quarter. $2.8 billion in a quarter. What are you doing? That means that R&D isn't going very well or they're putting too much money into it. It means that development, they put too much money into it and they aren't getting enough back. Additionally, it's really important to understand the temperature of the industry. VR has been a... I it hasn't say, caught on the way some analysts thought it would. Let's just say that. You know, when I when I started covering VR four years ago over at Game Daily, the business of virtual reality and augmented reality and even mixed reality, what what I cautioned people to understand about it is that this isn't going to be an overnight transformation. This is going to be 10, 15, 20 years in the making, and you have to be comfortable with assuming that risk. And if you're not, VR is not where you want to be. VR is a still experimental. It's not mainstream. I know that Meta was hoping that this was going to be Zucktruck, rather. I'm so tired Zuck of calling. Truck? I'm so tired of calling it Meta. They've been sued now about that name. It's a, it's just the worst name. But my point is that unless unless something gives and they pivot back towards affordability, what they've effectively done is the opposite approach of every switch in a house, mm-hmm. right? Which is what Nintendo has been talking about for the last year or so is they want, well, it's been the last couple of years. It's every switch in a house to multiple switches in a house. They're not heading in that direction. They're not making it more accessible. They're making it less accessible. This is their gaffe. This is their problem. Fix it. Don't make the consumer suffer. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. So I apparently had a lot more to say about that no, than that's, I got. No, that's completely fine. I... Ugh. I just have a big ugh on this one. You suck, Zuck Truck. There it is. All right. <laughs> That's it. That's it for the day. That's that, a week. That is it, it. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening to the Virtual Economy Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at, at Virtual Econcast. I'm at Amanda Farrow. And I am at Footerish, F U T T E R I S H. You can subscribe to our RSS feed at virtualeconcast.com. You can also listen to us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon Stitcher, Pocket Cast. There is one more. I always forget what it is. Yeah. Pocket Sand. Ah, right in the face. Right in the uh, face. Please do subscribe and if possible, review the show. Let us know what you think. 
You can also DM us with questions. So that's DMing Virtual EconCast over on Twitter. You can send us an email to podcast at fsquared.biz. You can also join our Discord community, which is the chillest community ever. Yeah, Everybody just community. hangs out. We talk about video games and board games. and D&D. Lots of D&D talk Lots lately. of D&D talk lately, which has been really great. Um, and yeah, I am, I am technically going on vacation like tomorrow, but hey, guess what? That doesn't mean anything to you because I'm going to be back next yep. week. We have earning. We're in the middle of earnings season, so we might not do a regular news show. We might just uh, do an earnings wrap up. We will see how it ends up going. It really depends on how the week unfolds uh, for both of us. I am yep. going back to my home province for the first time in five years, and unfortunately, Mike is uh, is not coming yep. with. We are. We're also working on a number of projects, so we're gonna be. I'm, we're, we're gonna be busy. We gonna be busy, but. So, yeah. But you know what? We'll still be back. So why don't you take us home there, Mikey? So yeah, remember to wash your hands, stay hydrated, be good to one another. We will catch you next time for more earnings, potentially some more news. And for the first time ever, us in two different time zones. Not and even locations. In the same house. Like we've, been, we've recorded in two different locations in the house for some of the interviews. But, but I don't think we've ever recorded an earnings or news show not being in the same Same room. room. Yeah. So it's going to be really weird. It is going to be very weird. But we're going to be on Zencaster, like (laughs) talking over webcams. So hopefully that will help. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, we will see you on the flip flop and uh, yeah, take care. We out.